0: The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. I had this really old school wooden sign hanging in my family's home. Like this was before Pinterest and, and, and Etsy, okay? There was this really old school kind of carving, and it was a quote from the book of Joshua. It said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It was like a family mantra that stood over my family's home. I took it as like a declaration saying, I don't care how you want to live in this confusing world, what you and your family do, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, what does it mean to actually be in a godly family? Does, does having a sign hanging in your family's home or, 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 or a declaration to the universe, does, does that make you a godly family? Does that mean you have healthy family relationships? See, we're right in the middle of a series today called God's Guide for Getting Along. So far, we've uh, covered social relationships and workplace relationships. Today, we're going to be discussing family relationships. We're trying to talk about the relationships in our life that that are just so essential um, for, for navigating this crazy world. Now... As we talk about family relationships, just think for a moment. Is there any more emotionally charged relationship on earth other than family? Just think about your relationship with your father for a moment, or the lack thereof. And think about what pops in your mind when you hear the word mother, brother, sister. You see, all of these words that tie to family, they're so emotionally charged for us. There's no such thing as emotionally neutral family. Like, They all bring up these these real strong emotions, not all of them good. So before we get too ahead of ourselves and begin to talk about family dynamics and family relationships, I just wanna level the playing field with everybody, okay? Um, I wanna start off by saying this, so just tune in here. The perfect family doesn't exist. There, I said it, sorry mom, okay. The perfect family doesn't exist. It, family life is hard, doing family well is hard. Parents are gonna screw up, kids are gonna misbehave. We as humans are selfish, we hurt others, we try to get our own way all of the time. And um, it's, it really, really shows that Family dynamic is is really tough. I dive into the Bible and I try to find a family that we can point to in the Bible, like a good godly family in the Bible. And you know what? If if you open up scripture and you look through your Bible, you'll find story after story after story of, of dysfunctional families. You can't find a godly family, a healthy family relationship in the Bible. It's not there All these families we look at in the Bible are just totally dysfunctional. Take Adam and Eve, for instance. They sinned, and then how did Adam respond? He blamed his wife. And then Adam and Eve's two kids, one of them ended up killing the other one. Take Jacob, for example. Jacob. He lied to his father and he stole his brother's birthright. King David, he had an affair with the next door neighbor, got her pregnant and then murdered her husband to cover it up. And then one of King David's sons molested his sister and then that son was murdered by another son and then that son ended up overthrowing his father's kingdom. This is the kind of families we find in the Bible. So, so take a little bit of hope here, okay, that just because you may come from a dysfunctional family, um, you, you're in good company. So this isn't all bad news though, okay? Things can get better when it comes to family relationships. So when we look through the Bible and we look for examples of healthy family, we, we won't find any but it doesn't mean that the Bible is quiet when it comes to family relationships. Today we're actually going to look at uh, four keys to a godly family according to the Bible. Now, like I said, I don't come from a perfect family, and I'm not in a perfect family, and the keys to a godly family that we're going to be discussing today, I get wrong all the time. I'm not teaching today's godly principles based on the authority of my own life. That would be crazy, okay? Today's not Simon's guide. Today is God's guide. So we're gonna go straight to God's word and see what he has to say about family. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah, Chris is ready. Good, okay, here we go. All of the teaching on family in the New Testament can be summed up by a few verses in the book of Ephesians written by the Apostle Paul, one of uh, Jesus' early followers. Now, the Apostle Paul takes the teachings of Jesus on love and equality, and he says, this is how you work it out in family. In a family context, this is what love and equality actually looks like. So I wanna read you a summary of what the entire New Testament teaches on family. But before I do, let me just say this. When you hear these words that I'm about to read you, you're gonna sit back and you're gonna think, yawn, (laughs) Simon, that's a little old school, okay? That's a little old-fashioned, maybe a little outdated. It's something my, my grandparents might have believed or lived, but that's not today. But when you hear these words, you need to know that when Paul wrote them, They were absolutely revolutionary. You see, Paul wasn't just regurgitating the popular thought of the day that that everybody had. He was actually turning culture upside down. The Apostle Paul did something amazing when he wrote these words. He started to put an emphasis on family life and he elevated the status of women and children like never before. One New Testament scholar put it this way, it's impossible to exaggerate the cleansing effect that Christianity had on home life in the ancient world and the benefits it brought to women. And if the Christian faith did much for women, he did even more. Uh, it did even more for children. We need to understand that Paul was writing this letter to a Roman and Greek culture that placed little to no value on women whatsoever. See, for a Jewish man in his morning prayer, there was a sentence that included him thanking God that he wasn't a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. See, under Jewish law, a woman was not a person but a thing, a possession of her husband, much like his horse or his house. She had no legal rights whatsoever. And children, they were even less valuable than women. They were disposable. In Roman culture, there was a custom that when a child was born, it was placed before the father's feet and the father had the, the, the right to pick up that child and decide to accept it or simply throw it away. A Roman father had absolute power. Um, he could do anything he liked with his family. He could sell them into slavery. He could make them work in the fields in chains or he could inflict even the death penalty on his own family. So it's to this culture and to this background, this setting, that Paul begins to write this, this letter about how family should actually operate. It was so new. It was so countercultural. Okay, are you ready? You feeling like you're getting a grip on this now? Uh, let me read you the highlights from Ephesians chapter five and six. Paul writes, when it comes to family, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. And there you have it. Healthy family relationships according to the New Testament. Let's close in prayer. (laughs) At first glance, like I said, you you look at this and you go, this is kind of old school, Simon. This is pretty old-fashioned, not very revolutionary at all. But the impact that this had on the ancient world, this biblical teaching, so impacted it that it's actually become the base standard for family life today in our Western world. The first thing that Paul teaches for a godly family to work is this. As your outline says, godly families put Jesus first. Godly families put Jesus first. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Healthy family relationships, they actually exist in the context of mutual submission out of reverence for Christ. See, when we put Jesus first when it comes to family, how we treat one another actually comes through the lens of how Jesus first treated us. Mutual submission means we serve, we serve one another just as Jesus first served us. The Bible tells us that while we were still helpless, Christ died for us. So now, out of reverence for Christ, I'm to serve others with my life. So what does putting Jesus first in family actually look like? It looks like mutual submission. Mutual submission. See, putting Jesus first in family looks like submitting to one another. As your outline says, mutual submission asks asks the question, how can I help you? How can I help you? See, think about this. How revolutionary would this be if we could just get this one thing right? If we could just go around to our family and start to ask the question, yeah, I know I got a lot on my plate and I'm pretty busy at work and different things, but how can I help you? How can I start to leverage my time, my talents, my gifts, my money, my energy, my, my everything, my power, my influence to serve you? How could I submit to you? How could I help you? See, that's mutual submission. And that's what it looks like to put Jesus first in family relationships. Okay, let's move on. This brings us to the second key to a godly family. Godly families are strengthened by godly marriages. Godly families are strengthened by godly marriages. See, Ephesians 5.22 says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Ephesians 5.24 says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands and wives, you need to love and to serve each other well. Now, I don't want to spend too much time here because next week, Pastor Darren's going to be wrapping up our God's Guide series by talking about healthy, uh, healthy marriage relationships. Um, but suffice to say that when Paul tells wives to submit to their husbands, he's doing this in the context of mutual submission. Loving and serving your spouse, okay? This seems like a pretty normal concept today, right? I don't think I'm gonna get any hate emails by saying, you should love and serve your spouse, okay? Like this is every wedding you've ever attended, they say this in in the ceremony at some point, like you need to love each other. This is pretty basic. But I'm telling you that when Paul wrote these words, this was revolutionary, no one was doing this, this wasn't the common practice. See, by writing these words, Paul is elevating the status of women like never before. He's describing an equal partnership in marriage. And even though Pastor Darren's gonna be uh, unpacking what a healthy marriage relationship will look like next week, I can't go any further and talk about healthy family relationships without talking about how vitally important your relationship with your spouse really is. Husbands and wives, listen, you are the core of your family. Your relationship with your spouse is the most important relationship in your family. Not the relationship with your kids, not the relationship with your in-laws, but your relationship with your spouse. Your kids are number two and your relationship with your spouse is number one. And don't get this mixed up. Husbands, listen to me when I say this. The greatest gift you could ever give your kids is to love your wife well. Wives, listen, the greatest gift you can ever give to your kids is a great relationship with your husband. Godly families are strengthened by godly marriages. Okay, one last thing. If you're here and you are a solo parent, let me encourage you. While you're doing this parenting thing on your own, you are not alone. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalms that God is a father to the fatherless. You may not have a marriage at the center of your family, but you still are the core. And your kids will learn that you need self-care as well. You need to find ways that you can continue to fill your tank and stay refreshed. Single parents, solo parents, without overstating this, you have the hardest job in the entire world. And I want to commend you for leading and loving your families well. Okay, So after the Apostle Paul talks to husbands and wives, he then turns his attention to the children. And this brings us to the third key to a godly family. Godly families that operate well have children that cooperate well. And all the parents said amen? Amen. Yeah, okay. Godly families that operate well, they have children that cooperate well. Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Again, this is in the context of mutual submission. Kids, you need to obey your parents, and not out of reverence to your parents, okay, kids? Because at times, your parents aren't worthy of your reverence, right? We are to obey our parents out of reverence to Christ. See, we're called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Christ leveraged his power, his authority, his influence for our sake. He put our needs above his own. He modeled for us what mutual submission in a family really looks like. And we're called to submit to one another, not out of reverence to one another, but out of reverence to Christ. Okay, so if you're a teenager here, All the teens, you can listen up. Take out your earbuds and listen up, okay? All the parents, you can just earmuff for a bit. You can just read your program, okay? Teens, you've probably figured this out already, but your parents are not perfect, okay? Your parents aren't perfect. They're gonna make mistakes, but they really are making decisions for your family with your best interest in mind. As hard as it is to believe sometimes, Your parents actually want what's best for you. And it's gonna take a while to figure this one out, but listen, parenting is hard work. It is not easy to be a parent. So sometimes if you don't agree with your parents, sometimes if you don't fully understand where they're coming from or what they're even trying to communicate, teens, as long as you're under your parents' care, you are called to obey your parents'. Can you imagine, just for a moment here, what this would actually look like in the context of your family? Don't think of some other family. I'm talking your family for a moment. What would it look like if if a child were to start to ask a parent, how can I help you? Your kid comes home from school and they drop their book bag down and, and they say, hey mom, dad, before I run upstairs, is there anything I can do to help out around here? Can I help you in any way? Uh, uh, kids, listen, just try it. Your parents won't even know what to say. They'll just be like, no, no, no just go to your room, play on your iPhone, no, that's fine, no. They won't, know, they won't even know how to respond. You're, you're having a dinner party and, and your teenage son comes downstairs. Hey, hey, mom, dad, sorry to interrupt. Um, is there anything I could do to help you guys out? Everyone at the dinner party, their jaws would hit the floor. They'll turn to you and say, teach us how to parent. <laughs> what are you doing? And you're like It's mutual submission. We serve one another. It's crazy. This would revolutionize how families actually start to work. Okay, so we get it. Children are to submit and to obey their parents. But what about when like, you're no longer under your parents' care? What about when you become an adult yourself or a young adult? Or, or what about when you have pa- uh, kids of your own? Can you just start to ignore your parents? Like, finally, don't to deal with them. The Bible teaches that although we no longer have to obey our parents, we still need to honor our parents. Exodus 20:12 says, honor your father and your mother. Now you might be thinking, Simon, <laughs> come on, you don't know my parents. <laughs> They're not very honorable. What do you mean honor them? Perhaps your parents weren't good or godly parents. Maybe they didn't love you well. Maybe they didn't love each other well. I love the way that Craig Rochelle puts it. Respect is something that needs to be earned, but honor is a gift that is freely given. You may not respect your parents, but you must, you must honor them. See, honoring your parents isn't something that's just done in childhood. It's something that's done in adulthood as well. So you're sitting here and you think, okay, Simon, well, how do I, what does this mean? Like, how do I honor my parents? What does that look like? I came up with a list. You can forgive them. That's it. That's how, how that's it. You can forgive them. You can honor them by forgiving them. And we don't have time to get into this today, but if you're harboring unforgiveness towards your parents, regardless of how they hurt you, if you're harboring this unforgiveness towards your parents, it's hurting you more than it's hurting them. I've heard it said that harboring unforgiveness is like drinking poison hoping the other person dies. Some of you here today, you need to start honoring your parents by simply forgiving them. You can keep in contact with them you can make phone calls. You can send them pictures of the kids. You can listen to their stories. Whether it was the fifth time you've heard it or the 500th time you've heard it, you can just listen to their stories. You can seek their wisdom. You don't have to take their advice. You just have to seek it, okay? But you can seek their wisdom. You speak of the good and not the bad. Use the phrase, "Uh, one thing you taught me that I'll always remember was, I'll never forget this thing that you did for me because it Remind them of the positive impact that they've had and have on your life and support them. Remind them that as they age, you're going to be there to support them no matter what. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, anyone who doesn't care about his own family is worse than an unbeliever. Now, this whole mutual submission thing, this is a two-way street. That's the mutual part of mutual submission, so as children, we're to obey and to honor our parents, but Paul goes on to talk to parents about how they should treat their children. This brings me to the fourth key to having a godly family. Godly families have parents that motivate, not irritate their kids. And all the kids said amen. Hey, thank you, Chris. Amen. Godly families have parents that motivate, not irritate their kids. Ephesians 6.4 says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, this word father here can be translated to the word parents. Parents, do not exasperate your children. And you're thinking, what does exasperate mean? Do not provoke your kids to anger. Do not not treat them in a way that they're gonna become bitter. And this is not like a, hey, I don't wanna clean my room. I'm bitter and angry at you. Nah, this is a deep-rooted bitterness that goes beyond just the task at hand and starts to shape the character of a child. So how do parents motivate and not irritate their kids? Essentially, there's two ways that parents can motivate their kids. And I want to just park here for just a quick, for a quick, quick hot second. Parents, I want you to evaluate how you're doing in these areas, okay? So no finger pointing, no elbow jabbing, just in your own life, I want you to evaluate how you're doing in these two areas, ways that the parents can motivate their children. The first is discipline, discipline. Believe it or not, children are motivated by good discipline. They want it, they crave it, and they need it. Discipline is motivating when it's caring and it's consistent. If a child receives no discipline, they grow up to be totally spoiled, right? Totally disrespecting authority, and they will not contribute as healthy adults one day. If a child receives improper discipline, this will embitter them as well. If a child is abused or if they're disciplined in anger, the the child, he'll never learn how to deal with his own anger and emotions. Think about it. When growing up, uh, the child will think, when I'm angry, it's okay to curse. When I'm angry, it's okay to hit someone. When I'm angry, it's okay to go crazy because they've never seen and were properly shown how to deal with their emotions. Now, Throughout the parenting journey, there will be years where discipline is absolutely essential and it's never more important than in the early stages of parenting. So let me just quickly talk to the early stage parenting parents for a moment. I want to say this about discipline. If you're in the early stage of parenting, discipline Is exhausting. (laughs) It is absolutely exhausting. If it's easy, you're doing it wrong, okay? It should be exhausting. But keep at it, parents. You are doing your children a favor by disciplining them well. Parents, be careful because this need for discipline as your child gets older turns into a desire for control and uh, parents, we have the tendency to ta- hang on too tightly to the control and the reins of control over our children. What happens is we end up showing our kids that we don't, actually don't trust them. We don't trust that, that the parenting job we've done, and we don't trust that they're becoming these capable young adult humans that can actually make good choices for themselves. I've heard it said, it's better to make a mistake of too much trust rather than too much control. Just last week, the New York Times put out an article about snowplow parenting. Have you heard of this? Snowplow parenting. I've heard of helicopter parenting, right? When a parent's always like around their kids and they're like little helicopter parents. Okay, snowplow parenting. This is what uh, the New York Times says. Snowplow parents are like machines chugging ahead, clearing away obstacles from their child's path to success. They They don't ever let their child encounter failure or frustration. They ran a study of over 1,100 parents that have young adult children between the ages of 18 and 28 years old. The study found that 76% of parents reminded their young adult children about deadlines at school. 74% made appointments for them like haircuts and doctor's appointments. And 15% of parents texted or called their adult children to wake them up every morning. Craziness. Okay, okay, So proper discipline is one thing we can do to motivate our kids. This is the other area I want you to focus on, parents. How are you doing in this area? Affection, affection. Affection is motivating when it's genuine and it's generous. Parents, our affection needs to be lavish and it needs to be uh, constant. Now, affection isn't just cuddles and hugs and kisses, although that is a part of it. And physical affection will change as your child gets older. But uh, affection can take on different um, forms throughout the parenting journey. It's been said that a child spells love, T-I-M-E. Is there any more practical way to show love and affection to your child than spending quality time with them? See, parents, our our children can become bitter if we start to neglect them. When we start to prioritize work or social life or, or even church above our kids, your work and your career, as, as important as they are, are never more important than your children. Parents, hear me when I say this. Your words weigh a 1,000 pounds. And all children, they long for affection. They long to hear the words from a parent to say, well done, I'm proud of you. And a little bit of encouragement can shape your child's future. One father, looking back at the parenting process in retrospect, shares some beautiful insights. He says, if I were starting my family again, I would love my wife more in front of my children. I would laugh with my children more at our mistakes and our joys. I would listen to my children more, even to the littlest one. I would be more honest about my weaknesses and not pretend perfection. I would pray differently for my family. Rather than focusing on them, I'd focus on me. I would do more things with my children. I would do more encouraging. I would bestow more praise. I would pay more attention to the little things. I would speak about God more intimately. Out of every ordinary thing, of every ordinary day, I would point them to God. But you want to know what the best way to show affection to your children is? Simply ask them the question, how can I help you? How can I help you? Son, daughter, how can I leverage my influence, my power, my energy, my time, my authority to serve you? It's the principle of mutual submission in action. See, you're modeling for them the very thing that God, our Heavenly Father, first modeled for us. So if you want to be in a healthy family relationship, if you want to be a godly family, today we've learned godly families put Jesus first. Godly families are strengthened by godly marriages. Godly families that operate well have children that cooperate well. And godly families have parents that motivate, not irritate their kids. And this brings us to the big idea. The big idea here at Broadway, we sum up the teaching each and every week. It's simply this. The healthiest family position is mutual submission. The healthiest family position is mutual submission. Asking the question, how can I help you? It may seem so simple, but if you take on the family position of mutual submission, it has the power to revolutionize your family. Now, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this This is all just really good advice. You can go home today and you can start to ask the question, how can I help you to your family? And you just watch as the principle of mutual submission starts to bring healing and grace to your family. If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, you can go home and start to love your spouse well. You can start to encourage your kids and honor your parents. But if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, then this just isn't good advice. This is a command. This is a necessity. We have to take this seriously. If we want to follow God's guide, then submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is the secret to making family work. The healthiest family position is mutual submission. Let me uh, finally close with this. If you're here today and you have yet to surrender your heart to God, you've never made the decision to put Jesus first in your life, maybe today you need to put Jesus first in your life before you can put Jesus first in your family. See, Jesus loved you enough to come to this earth to serve you in a way that would change the course of history. See, Jesus looked at his creation, and he first asked the question, how can I help you? See, Christ leveraged his power, his authority, and his influence for your sake. He put your needs above his own. Romans 5.8 tells us, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And by dying on the cross, he paid our moral debt so that you can be in a relationship with the God of the universe where Jesus himself practiced the principle of mutual submission on your behalf first. So today, if you're here and you wanna accept this grace and you wanna accept this gift of salvation, I would be honored to lead you in a little prayer as we say yes to Jesus together.